Welcome to a special episode of Last Month at the Federal Circuit, a look at recent decisions impacting the intellectual property community. In previous episodes of this podcast, our contributors have discussed the Federal Circuit's Arthrex decision. As predicted, the Supreme Court decided to hear this case. Given the importance of the case, we've assembled today a panel of our regular contributors to discuss what the Supreme Court's decision could mean for the patent community. Mike Jakes is currently the leader of Finnegan's appellate practice. He has appeared in over 100 appeals at the Federal Circuit and argued nearly 50 times. He also argued for the petitioner at the Supreme Court in the landmark case on patent eligibility, Bilski versus Kapos. Joining Mike today are Kathleen Daly and Jason Romrell, each with significant experience at both the Federal Circuit and the Patent Trial and Appeal Board. So thank you all for being here. Jason, let's start with you. Can you just remind us what Arthrex is all about? Sure. Arthrex, which was decided by the Federal Circuit a year ago now, surprised many people. The Federal Circuit held that the judges on the Patent Trial and Appeal Board were unconstitutionally appointed. The Appointments Clause, which is part of Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, gives the president the power to appoint public officials with the advice and consent of the Senate. Although the Senate must confirm certain principal officers, Congress may, by law, delegate the Senate's advice and consent role to the heads of departments for inferior officers. Under the law that gives the Patent Trial and Appeal Board its authority, the administrative patent judges on the board were appointed by the Secretary of Commerce. But the Federal Circuit held in Arthrex that the judges were not inferior officers and should have been appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. The Arthrex panel then said it could fix the constitutional problem by stripping out the part of the law that prevented the judges from being fired without cause. According to the court, this reduced them back to inferior officers and cured the problem with their appointment by the Secretary of Commerce. The court then vacated the board's final written decision in Arthrex and sent the case back for a different panel of the board to be assigned. Now, Jason, was the Arthrex decision decided by the entire federal circuit en banc, or was it just a panel decision? Arthrex was a panel decision, and the entire court declined to hear it en banc. In fact, both parties, Arthrex and Smith and Nephew, asked the court to rehear the case en banc, as did the Patent Office, but the court turned them all down. Not all the judges were on board with the decision, however. Four federal circuit judges dissented from the denial of rehearing en banc, and all told, there were two concurring opinions and three dissents. All right. Now, Kathleen, what has happened since the Arthrex decision? The Federal Circuit's decision in Arthrex caused a lot of disruption because of the large number of cases that had already been decided by the board and were on appeal in one stage or another at the time Arthrex was decided. In many appeals, over 100 or so, the court granted motions to vacate the board's final written decisions and remanded the cases to the board. In some cases, the appeals had already been briefed, and in others, motions were filed before any briefing on the merits. The court vacated the board's decision regardless of whether there was an appointments clause challenge presented to the board or included in the notice of appeal. As long as the argument was raised in an appellant's opening brief or in a motion before any briefs were filed, the Federal Circuit applied Arthrex and vacated the board's decisions. Where the appointments clause argument wasn't raised in an appellant's opening brief, however, the Federal Circuit held that the argument was waived. In the Custom Media versus Dish Networks case, which was decided right after Arthrex, the Federal Circuit held that appointments clause challenges are not jurisdictional 
and that the court would only grant relief when the party had properly raised the challenge on appeal. What about petitioners? Were they able to challenge the board's decision as unconstitutional under Arthrex? No. Only patent owners have been able to successfully raise appointments clause challenges in the federal circuit. In Siena versus Oyster Optics, the panel denied the petitioner's motion to vacate and remand on grounds of waiver. The court said that unlike the patent owner in Arthrex, the petitioner in Siena sought out the board's jurisdiction and knew, or at least could have known, of the structural defect in the appointment of the judges. Under these circumstances, the court held that the petitioner had forfeited its appointments clause challenge. Originally, the Federal Circuit issued the Siena order as a non-precedential decision, but later made it a precedential order. Okay, now does the Federal Circuit's Arthrex decision apply only to inter-partis review proceedings in the Patent Office, or does it extend beyond that? The Federal Circuit has said that Arthrex isn't limited to inter-party reviews or IPRs. It now applies to all appeals from the PTAB. The Federal Circuit has said that the PTAB judges who decided appeals in inter-party re-examinations ex-party re-examinations, and even ex-party prosecution before the Arthrex decision were unconstitutionally appointed. There haven't been any new inter-party re-examinations since the America Events Act in 2012, but there are still some around. In an appeal from an inter-party re-examination filed by Cisco against Vernetics, the court applied Arthrex and vacated the board's decision on the grounds that the judges were not constitutionally appointed. And in NRA Bolero Global, the Federal Circuit further extended Arthrex to ex parte proceedings, which would include ex parte reexamination and ex parte prosecution appeals decided by the board. What has happened to those cases where the Federal Circuit vacated the board's decision? There were over 100 decisions by the board that were vacated by the Federal Circuit. In those cases, the court remanded the cases to the Patent Office to conduct proceedings before different panels of judges. But in May, the chief judge of the PTAB issued an order holding all of the cases in abeyance while the parties and the government filed petitions for certiorari in the Supreme Court. Out of the over 100 cases identified, there were four re-examinations, four covered business methods or CBMs, and the rest were IPRs. A few of those cases have settled and been dismissed, but the rest of those cases have been in limbo with nothing happening. All right. Now that brings us to the Supreme Court. Mike, can you tell us what has happened there? Well, first, both parties in the Arthrex case, that's Smith and Nephew and Arthrex, as well as the government, filed cert petitions in the Supreme Court. Smith and Nephew first filed a petition saying that the Federal Circuit was wrong in holding that the PTAB judges were not constitutionally appointed. That's the main question. Smith and Nephew had won at the board, which had found the claims of Arthrex's patent were unpatentable. And so they obviously liked the board's decision and they were prepared to defend it on appeal. They didn't want to go back to the board and have to do it over. Then, like Smith and Nephew, the government filed a petition that also challenged the Federal Circuit's decision saying that PTAB judges were unconstitutionally appointed. They want to defend the structure and setup of the PTAB and the Patent Office. The government's petition also raised a second issue on forfeiture. The government argued that if the patent owner hadn't first raised the constitutional challenge to the appointment of the judges in the PTAB, then it had forfeited the issue and couldn't raise it on appeal to the Federal Circuit. The Federal Circuit in Arthrex had rejected that position. And then Arthrex also filed its own cert petition, even though it had the decision of the board thrown out. The Federal Circuit had vacated the decision, finding Arthrex's patent claims unpatentable. But 
In its petition, Arthrex challenged the remedy that the Federal Circuit applied. As uh, Jason had mentioned earlier, the Federal Circuit and Arthrex said it could fix the constitutional problem by stripping out the part of the law that prevented the judges from being fired without cause, and this would then reduce them back to inferior officers. Arthrex said in its petition that this fix was not effective to cure the problem and that it was also inconsistent with congressional intent that administrative judges should be independent. But that's not all. Those weren't the only petitions. There were many other cert petitions filed by other parties where the Federal Circuit vacated the board's decisions. There were also petitions filed where the Federal Circuit had said that the appointments clause argument had been forfeited because it wasn't raised in the opening appeal brief. And all these petitions accumulated over the summer and then landed at the Supreme Court right before the new term started in October. How did the Supreme Court sort out all those petitions? The Solicitor General's office really helped sort it out. They filed a memorandum that summarized the positions and then distilled the issues down to three questions presented. So the three questions, as the Solicitor General phrased them, were first, whether the PTAB judges are principal officers or inferior officers for purposes of the appointments clause. That's the first issue. Second, if the PTAB judges were in fact principal officers, then whether the Court of Appeals had properly cured any appointments clause defect by severing out the tenure protections for those judges. And third was the forfeiture question raised by the government, whether the Federal Circuit should have decided any of these appointments clause challenges if the argument wasn't first made to the board. The government did more than this memorandum, though. It it, uh, filed a hold petition in the Supreme Court. As you remember, the uh, Federal Circuit had vacated another 80 or so decisions based on Arthrex. So in this hold petition, the government said that if the Supreme Court granted cert in Arthrex and ultimately reversed the Federal Circuit, then that decision by the Supreme Court would undermine all the Court of Appeals rulings and the other cases that had applied Arthrex and reached the same result. So in this hold petition, the government said it would be appropriate for the court to vacate these many Federal Circuit decisions. Now, back in February on this podcast, you correctly predicted that the Supreme Court would take the Arthrex case, and they did. Tell us what exactly happened. Well, first, I wasn't the only one who expected the Supreme Court to take the Arthrex case. The situation here presented an unusually strong case for granting cert. The Federal Circuit partially invalidated an act of Congress based on constitutional concerns. That doesn't happen every day. And here, both parties and the government filed cert petitions, as did many others. Now, this case itself most immediately impacts patent law and PTAB proceedings in particular, but the Appointments Clause question has broader implications than just the Patent Trial and Appeal Board. Principal and inferior officers, they exist throughout the government. And it's the kind of question that constitutional scholars and law professors dream up. So in terms of what actually happened, last week, the Supreme Court granted the three cert petitions of Arthrex, Smith & Nephew, and the government, but only on the first two questions. The Supreme Court adopted the questions presented in the Solicitor General's memorandum, and we'll only hear the first two. And if you remember that those two are one, whether the PTAB judges are principal officers or inferior officers, and two, whether the federal circuit's fix cured any appointments clause defect. So if the Supreme Court reverses the federal circuit on the first question and holds that the PTAB judges were inferior officers from the beginning, presumably it won't have to reach the second question because no cure would be necessary. 
the removal protection can be restored, the inferior officers can go back to business as usual. The court did not grant cert on the forfeiture question, the third question, which was raised in the government's petition. And Jason, what's the timetable for when and what happens next at the Supreme Court? Well, based on a typical schedule, the opening brief will be due shortly after Thanksgiving, and briefing will continue into January 2021. The Supreme Court oral argument will likely be held in February or March 2021, with the decision by term's end in June 2021. And let's dig a little deeper on the actual question presented to the Supreme Court. Jason, can you explain what makes a federal officer either a principal officer or an inferior officer? Sure. Let's start with the text of the Constitution. Article 2 requires that officers of the United States be appointed by the president with the advice and consent of the Senate. Now, an exception is made for inferior officers, which may be appointed without Senate oversight and by either the president, courts of law, or heads of departments as chosen by Congress. So the constitutionally correct procedure for installing a federal officer depends on whether the officer is an inferior, in which case they may be appointed by a party chosen by Congress, or whether the officer is what courts have come to call a principal, in which case they may be appointed or must be appointed by the president with the Senate's advice and consent. Unfortunately, the Constitution provides little guidance on how to differentiate between principal and inferior officers. But case law provides some guidance. The constitutionality of various federal officials' appointment has been challenged over the years with court cases on the Coast Guard Court of Criminal Appeals, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and the Copyright Royalty Board. These cases have resulted in the enumeration of several relevant factors that courts use. The three factors the Supreme Court emphasized in Edmund v. United States, a case decided over 20 years ago, were first, whether an appointed official has the power to review and reverse the officer's decision. Second, the level of supervision and oversight an appointed official has over the officers. And third, the appointed official's power to remove the officers. Now, these criteria are not exclusive, and there is still no bright line principle or line between principal and inferior officers. These criteria are not exclusive, however, and there is still no bright line between principal and inferior officers. In Morrison v. Olson, for example, the Supreme Court determined that independent counsel appointed to investigate and, if appropriate, prosecute certain high-ranking government officials for violations of federal criminal laws was an inferior officer because the independent counsel was subject to removal by the attorney general, performed limited duties, and had limited jurisdiction and tenure. But the federal circuit in Arthrex found that PTAB judges are principal rather than inferior officers due to the lack of any presidentially appointed officer who can review, vacate, or correct their decisions, the secretary's limited power to remove them, and the scope of their duties. The government has argued in response that the PTO director's control over PTAB judges is enough to make them inferior officers, pointing to the director's ability to assign and reassign judges from cases, designating and de-designating presidential decisions, and issuing policy directives. 
And Jason, what is the significance of the court denying cert on the third question, the forfeiture question? That's right. As Mike mentioned, the Supreme Court denied cert on whether Arthrex waived the appointments clause issue by raising it for the first time on appeal. This means potentially two things. First, we can presume that the many other petitioners who did not raise the appointments clause issue at the board will not be procedurally barred from raising the issue on appeal and should be able to benefit from the Supreme Court's decision if it finds that administrative patent judges were unconstitutionally appointed. And second, it means that the court won't be able to take the easy way out and avoid deciding the difficult question of who is a principal officer or an inferior officer. And so, Mike, does the Supreme Court's decision to grant cert mean that the court is going to reverse the federal circuit? No, I don't think it does. While cert grants more often seem to point to reversals, the situation here that led to the petitions being granted, it was so compelling that it doesn't indicate to me an outcome either way. We had the federal circuit partially invalidating a statute as unconstitutional, both parties and the government filing cert petitions, and an impact that goes beyond the PTAB. So I don't see the cert grant as predicting an outcome one way or the other. Jason, if the Supreme Court decides that the PTAB judges were principal officers, then what happens next? The court will have to then decide the second question, whether the federal circuit's severing and eliminating the tenure protections for the judges cures the problem. Arthrex has argued that tenure protections for administrative patent judges aren't severable from the rest of the American Vents Act. And they argue that Congress wouldn't have passed the AIA if the judges could be fired by a politically appointed director without cause. Now, according to Arthrex, severing these tenure protections creates a due process problem. Specifically, they argue that adjudications under the Administrative Procedure Act require a fair trial and fair tribunal, and that the ability to remove administrative patent judges at will compromises their independence and neutrality. Now, if the Supreme Court upholds the federal circuit on both questions, including the severance fix, then the board's final written decisions that were vacated and remanded under Arthrex would be reheard before a new panel of administrative patent judges at the board. I'll add that if the court decides that the federal circuit's fix doesn't work, In other words, that the PTAB judges' tenure protections aren't severable from the rest of the America Invents Act, then the board's future will be in doubt. It's interesting, this severance question, it's somewhat similar to what the Supreme Court is facing right now in the Texas versus California case. That's the Affordable Care Act case, where the question is the arguably unconstitutional individual mandate and whether that is severable from the rest of the act. In Arthrex, if the Supreme Court says that this provision is not severable, then the entire law may have to head back to Congress. There are other agencies like the International Trade Commission, the Merit Systems Protection Board, for example. They have intermediate review of administrative law judges' decisions within the agency itself, and that's done by principal officers. So that is the type of fix that could be implemented. It's possible that the Supreme Court could come up with a different cure if it finds an appointments clause violation. Even if they do, it wouldn't provide a cure for the board's decisions since the federal circuit decision last year. And those decisions for the last year or so 
would still be subject to a challenge under the Appointments Clause. Now, if the Supreme Court reaches the second question and upholds the Federal Circuit's fix, there will still be a backlog of decisions at the board. Those will have to be reheard for those 100 or so cases that have been held in abeyance waiting for the Supreme Court. Of course, if the Supreme Court decides that the PTAB judges are inferior officers and no fix is needed, then presumably the many appeals to the Federal Circuit where the court vacated the board's decisions, those will have to be reinstated. And then the Federal Circuit will have its own backlog of 100 or so cases to deal with. Let's put one last question out there. How will the Supreme Court's decision to take this case affect day-to-day patent practice? Kathleen? It's possible that some companies may be more hesitant to file petitions and wait and see what the Supreme Court decides in the Arthrex case. There was a drop-off in filings at the PTAB when the Supreme Court was considering the constitutionality of AIA reviews in oil states. But most companies facing infringement litigation that were already considering challenging the patents at the PTAB will likely still do so. They won't want to risk missing the one-year statutory deadline for filing an IPR if the PTAB survives Supreme Court scrutiny. And we also expect the PTAB to continue as usual while Arthrex is pending before the Supreme Court. So the impact on practice from day to day may not be that large, but it certainly presents an interesting question and could have a big impact on practice day to day, depending on what the Supreme Court does. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Mike, Jason, Kathleen, thank you so much. You've been listening to a special episode of Last Month at the Federal Circuit from Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. Our guests have been Finnegan partners Mike Jakes, Kathleen Daly, and Jason Romrell. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.